Good morning. Good morning. Hope you've all had a good week. Yes? No? Yes. They just heard nothing. Wow. I was just waiting for like tumbleweed to come through the classroom. Um, well, I hope you had a good week. Um, we had a good week at our house. This is, some of you who know, I wouldn't expect you to remember this. This coming week is always a crazy week for our family. It's going to be even crazier this year than usual. Um, I don't know what there is about the middle of August. Um, but today, um, today's 34th wedding anniversary. Um, 25 years ago today, we moved here to Johnson City. Uh, Wednesday, 25 years ago, our first son was born. Um, Friday of this week, we send our baby off to college. So we're emptying the nest. Uh, Tuesday of this week, our next oldest daughter is moving to Indianapolis for a year. Um, I think somewhere there, Wednesday, we start classes. Uh, actually, I have to go back to work. Um, I know you're feeling sorry for me. I'm not just asking you to. Um, yeah, there's just a lot going on. Uh, seems like there's some things I've forgotten too, but that's, there's a lot happening this, this week. Um, so, so pray for the Kenison household, if you will. Uh, it's already starting to feel. Uh, some of you who've emptied your nest know that last week or two, as you're start, you start to anticipate, it starts to get a little rough. Uh, I'm assuming that was the case. Maybe some of you were <laughs> elated. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're excited for them. I think they're excited to, to head out for the new adventure. Um, and we just have to figure out what we're going to do now. When you've had children in your household for 28 years, uh, some of you know this, right? I mean, it's like, now what? So, but you've all, you've all assured me that we'll figure it out. Um, it's, I mean, nice. it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll probably discover that after a day or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah. You want to come over and sleep in the kids' twin beds? You're welcome to. <laughs> yeah, we might even make you breakfast. Well, we've been looking at different images, metaphors, similes uh, for God this summer. Uh, last week we we looked a little bit at what it might mean to think of God as dwelling place, which for a lot of us was um, a little different. It's not one of the first things that we think of necessarily when we think of images for God. Uh, God is dwelling place or home. Uh, today I think we, we said we we're going to do some familiar ones and some relatively obscure one. Today falls in the relatively obscure one. Um, some of you may know this passage. I, met, I imagine many of you don't. Um, there may be one or two of you who've actually heard or preached a sermon on this, but I, my hunch, 
could be very off on this. My hunch is that most of you have not heard a sermon on this. So the image comes from uh, the prophet Isaiah. Um, and the text we're going to look at is Isaiah 42, if you want to turn to that. And in this, in this text, um, the writer says that uh, God is going to cry out uh, like a woman in labor. like a woman in labor. And as I was thinking about this week, I thought, you know, it's probably a dangerous thing for me, a male, to try to figure out, try to bring some insight uh, to this text about what, what might the uh, author of this text be trying to say to us, um, and we're going to read more of the passage in context, be trying to communicate about God that would be helpful to us in our day when the writer reaches for this image that God in this context is going to uh, cry out um, like a woman in labor, which is verse 14 of chapter 42. I have seen a woman in labor. That doesn't really count. I don't, uh, although I will tell you that when our first child was born 25 years ago, my wife did squeeze my hand hard enough to break my wedding ring. <laughs> so I do have some idea of what she might have been going through, that it certainly must have had some kind of intensity that I'd never quite seen before or since. Um, and I have had the privilege of, uh, on more than one occasion, uh, having kidney stones, which I understand is the male's closest facsimile, uh, although you don't typically cuddle it afterwards. Um, might be in some ways equally gratifying, but also some ways not. Um, so I'm saying right up front, um, I don't purport, uh, particularly in a, in a group like this, to be uh, an expert on uh, women in labor. Uh, many of you could say a lot more about that than I can. Um, but I'm intrigued by this. Um, I'm intrigued by this notion um, that Isaiah uses here in trying to think through what what's trying to be communicated. So you may recall that uh, this section of Isaiah uh, is widely regarded to have been uh, written, composed, edited uh, during uh, the early part, you recall, of Isaiah uh, deals with sort of pre-exile uh, before uh, Judah sent into exile. And, and most scholars think that this part uh, is intended to be uh, hopeful, in the first part is, is a lot of um, warnings about in, in, impending judgment and uh, oracles about God bringing judgment on, on Judah. But here, uh, there's this turn to, to God trying to communicate through, uh, through the prophet 
that God is going to renew, restore. God's going to do something new. Uh, God's going to be victorious. That even though it feels like those who have conquered uh, have won, that there, there's more to it than that. So I want to... So if you go down, uh, let's start... I want to start with verse 13 because what's fascinating about this to me is that the author puts two, two seemingly different, if not what might at first seem contradictory uh, images together here. So starting at verse 13 of 42, and we should say that the, uh, chapter 42 begins what is sometimes uh, known as the first servant psalm. You sometimes heard of the servant psalms of Isaiah. And uh, this is the, uh, the first one in Isaiah 42. Verse 13 says, Yahweh goes forth, the Lord God Yahweh goes forth like a soldier. Like a warrior, he stirs up his fury. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time, I have held my peace. I have kept stilled and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about God as crying out like a woman labor. Um, I have to confess, I'm not sure. Um, there was something unsettling as I was thinking about this week. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever really thought about God gasping and panting like a, a woman in labor. I mean, I have seen that. Um, we have five children. Um, but I'm not sure I've ever thought of God doing that. Right? And there's something unsettling about that to me. Maybe not to you, but there's something initially unsettling. Um, it sounds a little too, a little too earthy, a little too, uh, a little too out of control, right? To me, um, I mean, what, what does it sound like to you? I mean, I'm just saying my own impressions. I mean, when you hear that, I mean, what, what seems odd to you about that? If it does, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it seems perfectly normal to you. Um, yeah, it seems a little too human, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we can understand that, that pain and agony and uh, crying out, um, moaning. Is some, is some translations here, this intense moaning and gasping that happens during labor. Um, but if you, have a, if you have an image of, of God being in, completely in control, it, it somehow feels a little dissonant, I think, for a lot of us, maybe. It seems a little contradictory to think of, of God crying out like a woman in labor, gasping and panting. So that, that's at least my initial unsettledness 
I don't want to necessarily project that onto you, but that's certainly, uh, when I hear that image, it's, it's arresting. It's arresting. Um, and I suspect that the, the author wanted it to be. Um, you may recall we were talking about Jesus' parables. Um, we talked about how Jesus is often, Jesus himself is often trying to be arresting. He gives us images and stories that once we hear them in context are really unsettling. And there's something unsettling about thinking about God this way. So all, all we're asking and all we've asked all summer long is for us for, you know, 25 minutes to just try this image, this simile on, to see if there's anything about this that can reveal something important to us about God. And if after 25 minutes the answer is no, then you can just go back to your life. <laughs> okay? Um, and you can wish you had the 25 minutes back, but I can't help you. <laughs> okay? So, um, I'm not suggesting, I mean, this is, this is obviously a, a minor image. It's not like the, the whole canon of Scripture. The, it's not the central image of God in Scripture. But it's there. And I just want us to think a little bit about what might be communicated here. So let's back up and talk a little bit about uh, what we probably would surmise about um, what, we, what little we know, because we don't know a lot, but what little we know about sort of typical uh, views of men and women uh, in the ancient times, and particularly Hebrew uh, culture. And not surprisingly, uh, they would have had some of the same um, stereotypes that, that we would have. Um, men were often viewed as uh, protectors. Women were often viewed as those who brought life into the world. Okay. Um, men were often uh, regarded as strong. Women were regarded as strong too, although in their day, like ours, uh, you could insult men by calling them womanish, right? You can insult their, their strength, right? Uh, that happens. You see that even in, in, in ancient curses. Uh, and you see this some even in scripture. Uh, enemies are cursed uh, and such that they would, be, they would, be, they would fear, uh, have fear like, like women. Not arguing that's fair, I'm just saying that that's there. And so, part of what you see here, then, in, in these pairing of this image, both of the soldier, Yahweh as the soldier going out to battle, and as Yahweh as the woman in labor, is you see sort of both of those images there, right? Uh, the sort of male figure and the female figure, both. Yahweh saying somehow in this new thing that God, that Yahweh is doing, somehow uh, both of these images are, are needed to communicate uh, what's going on here. So that's, that's the first thing. The other thing that's interesting is that the, the words that are used here, for us we don't notice this and Jason knows it because he's the Hebrew scholar and I'm going to try not to completely humiliate myself. Um, 
But the words, these three words here are, are kind of interesting that, that uh, in my translation are cry out, gasp, and pant. Uh, two of those words, two out of the three, this is the only time they're actually used. So they're unusual. And the other ones are rare words. So it's interesting that Isaiah uh, picks out some unusual words here to talk about this. They all have to do somewhat with the breath, right? You can sort of catch that with crying out, gasping, and panting. Crying out maybe not as much, but certainly with gasping and panting. It has to do with your breath. Right? Um, and those women in the room who have gone through labor knows that you're controlling your breath is important when you're in labor. Am I right about that? Um, or at least, yeah, that uh, at least, at least I am told um, that somehow regulating your breath can, can make it possible for you to uh, be active in the labor, right, in a way that if, um, if you hold your breath, you're actually working against the labor, right? And so there's this image, and remember that breath is a really important concept in the Old Testament and the New Testament too, right? Uh, in both the Old and New Testament, the word for breath is the same word for, for spirit, right? And so uh, you have this idea that, you know, of God breathing into us, right? In the opening chapters of Genesis, breathing life into us, breathing breath, spirit into us. Jesus breathing breath, spirit into us. So this notion of, of breathing is not unimportant. Okay? Um, so I think Isaiah is, is using some interesting images here to talk about God somehow doing something new, right? God's trying to assure us, certainly trying to assure uh, Judah that even though they were in exile, even though they felt abandoned, and even though it looked like the enemy had won, that God was ready even though God had waited patiently. God was ready now to do something definitive on their behalf. And, it, and there was going to be, potentially, um, something so... I mean, I think what's, what's hard for us to imagine is the, the kind of uh, intimacy. I mean, it's interesting that God... That scripture uses this intimate language about God's engagement with this, right? I mean, it's one thing to talk about the soldier marching off to war. I don't want to say that that doesn't have its own kind of intimacy. But to, to then switch images just on a dime and talk about this new thing that God is doing, God is going to do like a woman crying out in labor, gasping and panting. It sounds like this sounds like it's costing God something. Right? Uh, deeply intimate from within God's very being. 
do with that? What do we do with this, this notion? Um, one of the things that occurred to me this week as I was thinking about this is I think when, when I was talking about what bothers me uh, about this image is that it just, as someone said, it seems too human. Um, and we want to come back to this in, in, a little, in a little bit, but there's, the question is, I mean, we, we've talked in here, the year of vulnerability, uh, about how part of what makes Jesus so unsettling is the way that God is willing to enter into our vulnerability. And it looks like this is another example of that, right? He's sort of tucked away in this kind of obscure image. Um, there's something deeply vulnerable about God being willing to be named and to say that God's reacting like a laboring woman. What we often forget, of course, is that in the, in the day that this was written, I mean, labor was threatening. It was a crisis. In fact, that's what the image of, I mean, this is actually the only, the image of the laboring woman is used about a dozen times in, in the Old Testament. This is the only time it's used of God. And almost every time it's used otherwise, it's used of someone who's in a crisis. Right? Someone who's in a crisis and, and it uses it metaphorically. They're in a crisis and they respond like a laboring woman. Right? In other words, it's, they're, in the, they're facing something that's unstoppable, that, that, that has to come about, but potentially death-dealing. Right? We, we forget that you know, ancient women had typically four or five children and would typically lose one or two and they would maybe themselves die in childbirth. That still happens in our world, still happens in our country, but not nearly as frequently, right? Uh, we think about labor and delivery as primarily something that's very, very difficult, but that ultimately is gonna end, we hope, in joy. Uh, much more threatening in the ancient world. And so, again, for God, to, for God to be willing to be talked about in this very precarious way is really interesting to me, that God's willing to enter into this very precarious situation of, of giving birth, including all the very physical sort of manifestations of that agony. So what do we do with that? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I see it as we know God is invested in us as through Adam and Eve, so he birthed Adam and Eve knowing that it could bring joy or not. Yeah. And so he has feelings about that. 
of sadness, of pain, of all the things you would have when your children don't go the right way. Yeah, so God's in, invested in us, uh, has birthed us, so to speak, through our ancient parents up until now. Liz, you had... Um, I see it as God being pained, mm. like Jesus was too, about our actions, and I especially today think of Charlottesville. Mm. And I would see that God would cry out on how, what we have or haven't done. Yeah, I mean, do we? I think we. We. Some. It's so easy to put, to make God so distant in our imaginations, that God kind of stands aloof, um, but isn't. I mean, it's hard to know. We, we don't even have language, right? What does it mean that God's pained, right? Um, but we sense that maybe God is, right? Um, that somehow, as the text says, that God had been, Yahweh had been patient, but can be patient no longer, and now has to act. Um, but there's something, if God, if I hear what both of you are saying, that there's a sense in which uh, the good news is that God is bringing into existence, God is birthing, if you will, a new world, what Jesus calls the kingdom. Um, and there's no reason to think that that is just easy or a snap, right? Um, you may know that historically, we, we don't even know where the church was even uncomfortable with Jesus being born of a woman. It's even in our hymnody, right? Uh, is it little town of Bethlehem? How silently, how silently the heavenly gift is given. Really? Are we so sure? Um, I mean, in the medieval period, I mean, uh, some parts of the church taught that uh, Mary delivered painlessly. Because we're just, I mean, I don't even know what that is, you know? Um, but because we're so afraid. To, to have God a little too involved. I mean, part of it was because, um, going back to Genesis, right, that uh, part of the, the curse in the garden was that pain in childbearing would be increased, right? And so there was a nervousness about Mary participating in that. But all this, I mean, what I mean by all this is all this layers of stuff about how we're trying to protect God from entering in to the messiness and the pain of our world. And yet it seems like the good news is precisely that God's willing to enter into our pain. And not pain in the abstract. I mean, part of what I, I have found this week powerful about this image is it's not you know, some abstraction. God enters into your pain, which might be comforting. Um, that we say that's part of what the cross is about, but I worry that we made the cross such an abstraction, right? It's, it's a point of doctrine now. We can just talk about the cross. And unless you've just walked off the street and never been in the church, you know what we're talking about. But if you have not been raised in the church and you have just walked in on the street and you say the cross, no one has any idea what you're talking about. 
Um, and so part of what I have found powerful this week about this image is it reminds me in a pretty powerful way how God has been willing to enter in to the pain and suffering of the world. I mean, the writer of Isaiah can't not know like the opening stories of Genesis, right? Where the woman, it, it, women are, bear this, this, this curse of you know, increased pain in childbirth. God, God's willing to bear that, not some abstract pain, but even that which stands in for, you know, everything else that we might bear that comes upon us. Um, and I, I wonder if God, I mean, picking up what Liz says, uh, I'm told that for, for women who go through um, protracted labor, right, um, sometimes days of what's sometimes called, you know, uh, unproductive labor, which I would, you would never say that to a woman in labor, uh, but if she's been at, you know, if she's been at uh, six for 36 hours, and then you come along and say, well, you know, you're still where you were 36 hours ago. Um, you're thinking, well, like, what's going on? Right? Uh, but, no, you're not thinking at all if you say that. Yeah, right. You're straight up, you're really, really to hurt somebody. Um, but at least a lot of women uh, who get to that point often say, I can't do this, right? Uh, they just say, I can't do this. Um, and I, I wondered, uh, uh, this passage made me wonder this week, a thought I hadn't really thought before. And again, I don't know what to do with it, but uh, I'll share it with you because that's what we do. Um, I wonder if God ever looks out at our world and sees what we do to each other every day um, and knows where God wants this and how this new world is to be birthed. I, I wonder if there are times when it just looks like the labor pains aren't doing much. Right? Um, it just looks, I mean, I know it looks that way to me, I just, but this week I wondered, does it look that way to God sometimes? And I don't know the answer to that, but I, uh, this passage gave me the courage at least to ask it. Um, as confident as God might be that ultimately all things will come to fruition the way that God desires. Is there ever a point when God, like a laboring woman, panting and groaning and crying out, says, I don't know if I can do this. And before you answer too quickly, we remind ourselves that Jesus finds himself pretty much at that point in the garden. 
right? Um, when he prays, I'm not sure I can do this. If there's another way, how about we take it? Right? Um, so I found that, again, that, that gave me a different way of hearing that. <laughs> um, so there's something about this very earthy, very human image of God as a laboring woman crying out, moaning, gasping, panting, that I think may have the possibility for some of us, maybe not all of us, but for me it has, I have to confess, has the possibility of opening up the space again that maybe I've, with too much familiarity, have closed, opens up the space again for me to see how deeply vulnerable God has been in entering into our world, entering into our pain. My hunch is more vulnerable than I want God to be. Because most days I'm not sure I want a vulnerable God. I got too many vulnerable people around me. I need somebody who's invulnerable. Right? I mean, I, I think that would comfort me. Um, and a lot of my images of God suggest invulnerability, invincibility. And yet, God seems to be willing. I mean, part of the good news is God is willing to shed that in order to enter into our world, which looks risky. It looks risky. Uh, it seems like it is risky, just like delivering a child is risky for child and mother. And God is willing to enter into that. So my prayer this week is that God might use this very unusual image, maybe an image that many, if not most of us, have ever even heard before. We didn't, I mean, you probably don't, I mean, I don't sort of pick up Isaiah 42 as my first go-to passage to read of a morning. And even if it were, I'm not sure that I would have slowed down enough to sort of really wrestle with, like, what's that? Uh, what's being communicated here about God, perhaps? Uh, what does God want us to see here? And maybe, yeah, you know, Paul in the, the eighth chapter of Romans uh, says that all creation is groaning, right? Like a woman in labor. <laughs> How many times do we some of us go through that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, your wife went through five times, and it that way. But they say that is what birthing pains is one of the first things you, uh, you forget. Yeah. 
how bad it was. You remember the good part. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's what that's what Paul suggests. That's exactly what Paul suggests in Romans eight, isn't it? Right? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed. Right? We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Right. Then he goes on to say right, that, that the Spirit prays for us. Right? The Spirit prays for us in our weakness when we don't know what to pray and that the Spirit prays for us with sighs too deep for words. And there's that kind of aspiration of the breath again. Spirit and sighing. Right, Sighing is a way of... Um, that's deeply comforting for us, I think, isn't it? I mean, how, how many times have you and I found yourself, found ourselves in a situation where I don't know what to pray. Right? I know I should be praying for this friend, this loved one, this neighbor. What do I pray? I, I don't presume to know what's best for them. I know what I want for them. I may even know what they want for them. I don't presume to know what's best for them. The idea that somehow this, this spirit that we're given <laughs> prays for us in our weakness. Um, I, I find great comfort in that, just like I find comfort in the fact that not only is all creation groaning, not all only are we growing, but maybe God is groaning. Right? Maybe God is groaning. Maybe God's not so distant from this new creation that God's trying to bring into being. That God isn't also groaning, panting, and gasping. Um, it's, it's costing God something, too. God's taking a risk here. Um, if nothing else, because here's the scary part. God has entrusted this good news to us. I wasn't consulted when that decision was made. You weren't either. But in retrospect, we see what a risk that was. Um, so God has placed great trust in us by entrusting into our hands what God is doing in the world and what that requires of us. And as has already been said in worship this morning and as mentioned by Liz, I mean, in a week like this week where we're intimately reminded of uh, the mess we've made of things. Um, 
yeah, Lord have mercy. Um, let's pray. God of surprises. Uh, we confess that there are days when we think uh, we have a little bit of a handle on how to understand you and uh, then we come across passages like uh, today and we're reminded that you were willing to be brought to speech in ways that uh, unsettle us, unnerve us, and yet also have the capacity to remind us of things that we know deep down. And so we pray as all creation groans and as we ourselves groan, waiting for the, the final new creation to come into its fullness. May we be somehow encouraged to know that perhaps you yourself groan and pant and sigh and gasp and cry out. But may we also know that you are daily at work bringing about your intended creation, even or maybe especially when we cannot see it. And even through us, whether or not we're aware of it. So may we be encouraged, may we be comforted and inspired this week by your desire to intimately enter the human condition, to enter into our lives, to share our pain with the promise of new creation, the promise of making all things new. <clears throat> Use us this week as agents of your new creation Give us wisdom to know how best to do that in this little corner of your world. We pray this through Christ. Amen.